भारतीय सेना में नारी शक्ति का प्रतीक आप सुन रहे हैं वीर नारियां यू नाउ गोइंग टू लिसन टू शीला जयवंत हु इज द वाइफ ऑफ रिटायर्ड विंग कमांडर सी एम जयवंत हु वॉज अ फाइटर पायलट इन द इंडियन एयरफोर्स इफ इट टेक्स गट्स टू बी अ फाइटर पायलट इट टेक्स मोर गट्स टू मैरी वन सो लेट्स हियर शीला स्टोरी इन हर ओन स्वीट वर्ड्स दे लिव इन गोवा राइट नाउ वेल आई गट मैरिड वेन आई वॉज स्टिल इन कॉलेज I had this romance with my husband and do be from different castes we really did not have an issue with either of our families I was born and raised in Bombay and when I had to uh, after my graduation I graduated immediately after I got married I joined him in Hindin which is in Uttar Pradesh that was the first time I had left uh, Bombay and I had gone to a place where um well firstly we had no running water most of the time and we also had erratic electricity perhaps it's still true in uttar pradesh i don't know but in those days though hindin was not too far from delhi it was a pretty long commute the there was just a single road the sahibabad road and uh, you wouldn't recognize it if i showed you pictures of then and as a flying he was a flying officer then which is uh, one of the which is the second lowest rank at that time he hardly earned anything besides we did not have a gas we did not have a fridge and uh, i had to cook on something called a nutan stove which is a wicked stove all of us wives used that and a bottle of bottle of kerosene um was what i needed to cook one meal for the two of us and naturally you could imagine uh, washing clothes and all with uh, stored water for a city girl i was not used to that but you know what you consider or what we now might be considered as hardships in those days because everybody around me all the wives every all of us were do living it we really thought it was fun we did not think of it as any different and you know we didn't even get bread sliced bread was difficult to get so we all learned to bake our own bread and over a period of time we learned to make everything at home gulab jams papads everything there was always somebody who would come and teach and uh, willingly teach we didn't have televisions we didn't have any other entertainment we wives had only each other and quite often when the husbands were away not necessarily out of town though that also happened but you know when they had morning afternoon evening and night flying and they were out of the house all the time so we wives would pop across to each other's place and learn something or teach something whether it was cakes or souffles and uh, cakes you know we had these little round ovens with a single element going around it no fancy oven or we would even bake it in the pressure cooker without water and without the rubber gasket um we learned to improvise to such an extent this improvisation that there was a time when i had to make a whole lot of rotis for the dog and uh, the i didn't have my luggage hadn't come so i didn't have anything to work with i used the kitchen platform to roll the dough on and i used a beer bottle as a pillion as a rolling pin anyway that was life then from there we moved to kashmir what i remember about kashmir is the bitter cold really really bitter cold we had to in winters we got one huge block of uh, coal which we my husband had to drag it home over about 200 meters from the main road 
and then we would sit in candlelight and break it down into little bits why candlelight because the the electricity was so the wattage was so low very poor quality electricity there and it was so cold so th- this big coal was broken down into little bits and we would put that into the bukhari the bukhari was a contraption that was a heater which uh, we kept in one room and in that room we sat and did everything from chopping vegetables of course i had to go to the kitchen to cook it cook those or to reading books whatever i had to do with my baby because sorab was a baby then and the room was black with soot because the bukhari uh, gave off that that soot you know uh, having said that i mean every time i would like to repeat this that though it sounds like discomfort now when i'm saying it believe me at that time it just toughened us up i looked at it and most of us looked at it as an adventure our husbands were there they were serving the nation we were with them and it taught us automatically to adjust to all situations in life and i think chaya you will understand that instantly because you are a services wife too you know we wives we bond because we've been through these little adventures of ours from srinagar we had to move oh in between we went and stayed in avantipur where there were tents it wasn't a proper air force station and the husbands had gone there on a temporary duty some of us wives joined them so there weren't even toilets there we had deep trench latrines and avantipur was so beautiful i can't tell you we had we were surrounded by badam orchards and the badam flowers in bloom and the opium flowers you know miles and kilometers right till the horizon there were just flowers unbelievably beautiful place uh from kashmir we moved down r- right across the subcontinent to tambram it took us 5 days by train remember no nappies uh no disposable nappies in those days i must tell you in srinagar the winters were so cold and uh, whenever we had to hang out the nappies to dry they would freeze overnight and they became stiff with ice in the mornings and the pipes the the drain pipes the water pipes would freeze and burst so overnight we had to keep uh, the tap dripping a little bit well from srinagar we moved to tambram like i said a five day journey by train where we had to request the pantry people to give us boiled water for the baby and for our safety too and i had to wash all the nappies and root and the fun thing was that along the way at some of the stations our friends whom we had informed 3 weeks in advance why 3 weeks because we could only inform them by letter or telegram and telegrams were expensive so uh, we had informed many of our friends by letter and some of them actually came to the station with food for us food that would last the journey last the the hot afternoons so it was you know fried karela sabji and puris stuff that would not spoil and then uh, in tamram of course en route we missed a train or two because uh, one train got late and therefore we missed the connecting train so we had to rush and uh, run about but um, finally we did reach tambram now in tambram what happened was since there were no homes in 
at the fo station in our homes that is we had no enough quarters so we had to take a house outside this was quite common in those days so a young couple often moved from uh, one person's house who had gone on leave and when that guy came back we moved to another person's house we used to call this musical houses and thambram the house which we had taken outside uh, i had neighbors who didn't speak any language but tamil they didn't even understand hindi or english so i had to learn a little bit of tamil what i did was i bought books from first standard to fifth standard the little books with the pictures and the words alongside like a for apple types and i got a friend to tell me in english all the tamil words that was one thing i did the second thing i did was any hawker passing by my house selling anything i would call that person inside and ask you know i would say hum isko bhindi bolte hain what do you say so that lady would say vendaka ma and i knew then that okay bhindi means vendaka so i learned chawal is rc rice is rc and um, uh, uh, pal is milk and so on and then from tamram we were there very briefly we moved to sikandrabad sikandrabad was very dry and in those days there was a huge water shortage we used to get water just once a week and we had to store it sometimes for the entire week um there too we made some really really good friends uh from there we moved to wellington wellington was very cold for some reason i don't like winters in spite of the fact that everybody says you know it braces you up and uh, most people like the cool breath in their lungs and they enjoy their tea uh hot tea with ginger in it and stuff but i've never enjoyed winters with all the layers and layers of clothes that you have to put and socks and gloves and cover your head but wellington was um was one place where we had so many facilities we could do riding we could do sailing the library was excellent those who enjoyed squash or badminton or tennis they had it all actually all stations all stations have some kind some sport facility or the other but even if you didn't have it there was so much space and it was such a uh, disciplined traffic most of the time it was traffic free because in an in a big camp there were probably one or two private cars uh there were maybe four official cars and uh, the rest of the people if they could afford it they would buy either a motorcycle or a scooter and if they couldn't afford that they had a cycle so as it is traffic was low and a uh, very very disciplined so therefore even if you were not into sports into organized sports just walking or jogging would provide you with enough exercise and most camps had huge trees you know till you come out of the air force or uh, army camp and till you start living in a civilian environment you don't realize what luxury it is to live in the lap of nature the birds the flowers the changing seasons that is something i miss terribly on civi street anyway so wellington was one place from there we moved to halwara that is in punjab and in those days punjab was under curfew so we all had to live in camps since there was a shortage of quarters we had to live in somebody's converted garage and uh, you know because of living in these different abodes my son has learnt 
first hand firstly he's learned geography and history as we went along living in all the different states then he has learned that he can live in a five star hotel suite and he can live in a garage equally comfortably he he has also learned that people are the same whether they are from assam or tamil nadu or kerala or timbuktu or wherever he knows that he can treat everybody equally he will behave the same way with an air marshal son and an nca son so i think all 4g children develop this um this kind of attitude which is very very good probably now india has a lot of companies and a lot of people do travel but in those days it was only the services children and the rare maybe railway children or some rare company which transferred their people but not as often and not in corners as remote as the army and the air force um so that was an advantage for my son um in halwara i had peacocks in my backyard can you imagine i used to feed them because the previous occupant used to feed them rotis these birds came and actually demanded their breakfast every morning and from there to jodhpur there were no peacocks in my backyard in jodhpur but there were huge monitor lizards and jodhpur because it was at the edge of the desert if i kept enough water in the garden i got lots of creepy crawlies as in um frogs and lizards and uh, snakes but you know we humans we get so hysterical about all these these creatures are mostly harmful not all snakes are poisonous and even if they are they stay away from you but they are fascinating to watch and so many birds would come into that watering hole because in the desert that's all they want wherever there's water they go there and because we had these creepy crawlies you know it was like a natural pest control because we had no cockroaches or mosquitoes they ate them all up from jodhpur we went to bareilly and we had to take our huge 44 kilo dog with us by train and we had to change stations at uh, delhi and now the interesting part is uh, living with animals in services in the camp we take it as we take it in our stride but civilians somehow find that uh, well i won't say all civilians and i don't want to divide uh, like you know forties and civilians as two different categories of uh, people it's just that many of them are not used to handling or seeing animals so at every point we had to explain that no the animal has a different need and we need to cater to it um in bareilly now i believe bareilly has malls and huge flyovers but at that time bareilly was really like rural uttar pradesh uh, has been for centuries large tracts of rice fields excellent mangoes kharbuje tarbuje everything was available very very fresh and of excellent quality uh because we were in bareilly you know whenever we have been close to the mountains we've done trekking in the mountains whenever we have been in the other places we've done travel wherever we were uh, from bareilly we drove to goa which was a, a driving journey in our old fiat it was a five day journey with different halts we had one halt in gwalior one halt in mahau that's near indore one halt at pune and one halt somewhere else in between and then we reached goa 
from Goa, of course, we we went to Bombay to earn a living because at that time my husband had taken uh, early retirement and there weren't so many opportunities in Goa. Now you asked me what is to tell you a single episode uh, which stands out in my memory. Well, my husband was a fighter flyer. And fighter flying is an extremely risky profession, like the and like the submariners or like the infantrymen. Uh, you know, even within the services, there are some sections which are highly risky. Fighter flying is one of those. So, in fighter flying, quite often, even during training, uh, aircraft do crash for various reasons, and sometimes the pilot dies with the with the aircraft. But there is a provision for the pilot to save his life. It's called ejection. If a pilot ejects, there is a chance, and this is uh, within a hundredth of a second this thing happens, there is a chance that he can save himself. So this is what happened to my husband. And let me just tell you about that. We'll be right back so that you can hear more of Sheila's story. Veer Narya, Sirf Fauji Radio Par. Chitthi aai hai. Letters to loved ones. Colonel Vasant B. आज उनकी autobiography Forever Forty में से उनकी पत्नी को लिखी गई चिट्ठियों को हम सुनेंगे. Colonel Vasant laid down his life leading from the front as a brave warrior, fighting against the terrorists along the line of control in the Uri sector of Kashmir. He became a martyr in the finest traditions of the Indian Army, a thorough gentleman and an officer of impeccable integrity. He has been a role model as a leader of men. Colonel Vasant has done the Indian Army and the Maratha Light Infantry proud. He was decorated with the highest peacetime gallantry award of Ashoka Chakra and made history. His example of leading from the front in operations is the kind of stuff legends are made of. 17 December 1992, 15:25 hours. I reached a cold and dusty and lonely house. At 1100 hours today, come back, dear, and make this house a home. Reached Pathan Court at 1000 hours in the morning. The train was two hours late. I reached the mess and wolfed down a four-egg omelet. I went home thereafter and freshened up. Oh, the house was and is in a mess. Dust everywhere. I went to the mess for lunch, and the second in command. Gave me the best news yet. I leave for operational area day after to relieve old SKP. SKP Nair. Actually, I don't mind since I'll give him an opportunity to be with his wife, and I'm going to be alone anywhere. 25th December 1992, 11:30 hours. Today is the last day of relaxation. In the next few days. Tomorrow, my old man and his boss will be landing up, and on the twenty-eighth, his boss. I'll have one hell of a lot of jobs to do. In fact, work has already begun: bulldozing of roads, construction of viewpoints, etc. In addition, I have to carry out routine OP rakshak activities, ambush, patrol, etc. The last time I was given a dozer. Was in September '91 when I learned how to operate the same. Let's see if I still remember. 27 December 1992, 10:30 hours. Sunday, warm sunshine, birds chirping in the trees and occasionally dropping bombs. Squirrels scurrying around, 
hot tea available on call. No tiresome VIP visits. The big shots who were to visit have called off the same for the next few days. Got your letter dated 21st December. I'm truly happy that you are practicing for the program. Dear, I can't tell you how proud I am of you. Remember, you have all the support I can give you. I can give you encouragement and that is what you'll get from me. Wholeheartedly, totally, completely. 31st December 1992 I can't think of a gloomier New Year's Eve. Far, far away from my beloved. Sitting in a tent in the cold. Away from civilization. Rain pattering on the canvas roof and a petromax providing the only light. I'm a picture of loneliness. But I know it's not forever. The thought that you will be with me in just a couple of weeks is the only thing that's keeping me from getting depressed. I'm getting all your letters which had been addressed to Mizoram. I wish they had come when I was there. You're listening to Sheila Jayawant on Veer Nariya only on 4G Radio. भारतीय सेना में नारी शक्ति का प्रतीक आप सुन रहे हैं वीर नारियां वी आर बैक एंड नाउ यू गोइंग टू हियर शीला जयवंत रीड एन आर्टिकल शी रोट फॉर अ पब्लिकेशन फाइटर प्लेन्स वी कॉल देम फाइटर एयरक्राफ्ट हैव ओनली वन इंजन एंड वन पायलट ओनली ट्रेनर्स हैव टू पायलट्स इफ दैट वन इंजन फेल्स द एयरक्राफ्ट क्रैशेस The pilot flying that plane is alone and can die with the plane. There are many things that can go wrong. There can be a leakage of fuel, a technical something can go wrong, there can be a fire or a malfunctioning of the instruments. All of these give warnings. The only time there's no warning is when there's a bird hit. The aircraft weighs several tons and flies at mind-boggling speeds. Now in a bird hit, the momentum the impact of a 4 kilogram vulture can shatter a 25 crore machine the bird dies instantly and if the pilot doesn't eject he can also die at moments like these the pilot's presence of mind coordination his skills everything matters and all this happens in a hundredth of a second when my husband ejected none of these things happened in his case his aircraft went into a spin that means its tail was moving up and down its wings were moving side to side as well as up and down altogether it's called yawing pitching and rolling all at once now when an aircraft goes into a spin the human being inside the cockpit is churned by all kinds of physical forces in all directions it's almost impossible for him to think or react or even move and every split second the plane is hurtling downwards to crash now my husband was amongst the few who survived such an event he ejected safely this is what happened it was a morning sortie over rajasthan's desert when his aircraft went into a spin it was about 8 in the morning all his instincts geared to eject he pulled the ejection handle but nothing happened Uh, you have to remember the aircraft was moving and twisting and he was being thrown in different directions and round and round at great speed besides the aircraft was hurtling downwards he tried again he pressed the ejection handle very hard and pulled with all his might it's a lot of strain on the muscles and nerves and that's why fighter pilots have to be very fit and be medically sound 
At barely a kilometer above the ground, the canopy finally jettisoned. Now when this happens, a person's spine can snap. The seat and he were catapulted. He was somersaulting several times per second and against gravity. The aircraft had crashed by then, but he was safe. Now what happened to him after the ejection was, the parachutes attached to him opened. First the small parachute which tugged at the big parachute. The big parachute opened with a jerk that brought him to his senses because you black out when you are catapulted at that speed. Uh, that jerk could also have snapped his spine. He was lucky like I said. A strong breeze carried him away from the crash site. In his mind he wished he could have somehow rewound it all. But as they say the moving finger writes and having writ moves on. He floated downwards towards the fields. There were labourers in those fields. When he touched the ground and lay there, those labourers gathered around him. They were curious and they offered him water, but he knew he shouldn't move because if there was an injury, moving might cause more damage. He also knew that a search party would be looking for him by helicopter. It took a long time for the search party to locate him because the strong air currents had taken him many miles away from the place of the crash. I was at home. An officer came and gave me the news of his accident but I didn't know what to expect. I was calm and accepting. I discovered that years of providing solace to others in their times of need gave me the necessary strength. There was a clammy fear gripping my torso and my hands and feet were cold. But I changed out of my home clothes ready to go to the hospital if required and I waited for further news. He had some tests done in the hospital and then he was sent home. I don't know why or how he wasn't injured, plain luck maybe. Some say his own deeds have paid dividends. Some say my dead ancestor played a role. Some say his mother's prayers worked. What I know is that many people contributed to that luck. Those who folded and packed the parachutes, those who checked the equipment, the company that made the ejection seat, and then my husband's instructors, they all had done their work painstakingly, correctly. I'm thankful to them. In an ejection, no injury doesn't always mean all is well. In my husband's case, it still meant many days in bed. He could move very little. The physical trauma takes a long time to heal. To move his neck, I had to clutch his hair and do it gently and slowly. Day and night he would stare at the ceiling. During the day, at home and near his bed, an officer grilled him for the court of inquiry. He was asked facts, figures, numbers, calculations. There were many questions. In those days, there were no mobile phones, no emails. So it took about three to four days for people in other places to know what had happened. Then our landline phone began to ring. Anxious calls came in from Hashimara, Yalahanka, Avantipur, Nalia, all wanting to know how he was, how I was. And we got cards and letters and telegrams. Every night when he swallowed his painkillers, his medicines, he knew and I knew, we both knew, that in many, many homes in remote and inaccessible corners of India, our friends must be drinking to our health and happiness. Maybe in mess rooms or verandas, but drinks would be poured and a toast would be raised to a friend who has lived to make 
another landing. Thank you, Sheila, for sharing that very exciting, adventurous time you had as a serving officer's wife. I'm sure you have an equally adventurous life now. Veer Narya, sirf Fauji Radio par. आशा करते हैं कि आपको ये सोच कास्ट बहुत पसंद आया अगर कुछ कहना है इसके बारे में तो लिखकर बताइए हमें अपने फेसबुक और इंस्टाग्राम पेज पर सोच कास्ट ढूंढिए अगर आपको अपनी सोच दुनिया को सुनानी हो तो सोच कास्ट करो सोच का